morning, Harvest Church. It really is a privilege for me to be with you here this morning. It's actually a, a special day in the Olson household. As been mentioned, my, my brother got the muscles, I got the facial hair, but uh, we love each other deeply, and uh, my dad's actually preaching at Love Church where I'm from. And uh, I want to say I don't take this moment lightly. I've grown up in the city of Durban. I've heard the incredible stories and impact that Harvest Church has had. I've heard of the incredible leaders that have been raised and released from Harvest Church, and so I want to use this opportunity to thank George and the rest of the eldership team, even though I'm sort of like a a fourth non-traveling reserve. It's like uh, he went away with Julian and Richard, and I was almost like that uh, fly half waiting for his chance when other guys got injured, so I'm here and I'm going to make the most of it, so I'm looking forward to it. Just a a little bit about myself. Uh, I've come to honor you, hence why I've tried to coordinate my shirts with your seating, similar patterns and colors. I really want to respect you guys. But uh, if I had to sum myself up in one word, it would be um, a man who loves Jesus, who loves his church, and who loves the lost. And I've tried to live my life understanding what that looks like and putting it into practice. Uh, I've been happily married for over 10 years now. I know some of you are trying to do the mass. Did you get married at the age of 12 or 13? Uh, I just keep my looks very, very well. But uh, I've been married for more than 10 years. I've got four children, uh, three of which are my own, recently adopted a fourth. And we planted a church just under two years ago called Love Church. And where we started our journey was in a pub, in downtown pub next door to Raffles Nightclub. But uh, I'll share that story with you a little bit later. But just as I was preparing for this time, I really believe that I received a word from God, and it came out of my communication with George, trying to understand what uh, you guys are preaching at the moment, where you've come from, and he used the, slow, the slogan or the, the saying, right here, right now, and uh, straight away, I went back to that Fat Boy Slim song, right here, right now, and uh, just started thinking what that means, and uh, George says it's harvest time for you guys, and as I started praying around that, what that looks like, just a picture that I got, and I'm not one of these guys that gets pictures. So uh, I was asking God, hey, cool guy, you give me a picture, what does it mean? And the picture I had was that of a field of dandelions. And as I was asking God to interpret that, I felt what he was saying was, up until now, Harvest Church has been growing themselves in a sense. They've been preparing themselves for this next harvest. And uh, it was a beautiful picture of all these white dandelions. And then a gust of wind came and scattered that seed where it needed to go. Can I say, Harvest Church, that uh, be aware of what the Spirit is doing. I don't think it's by chance that Julian and Katia are with you in this season. Be aware of what the Spirit is doing and ask Him how you can get involved. So easy we can say to God, God, this is what I want to do. Come and bless this. But I believe He's going to give you the eyes to see what He is doing and make yourselves available and He will blow your seed where it needs to go. And I feel that you shouldn't judge each day by the harvest you reap but by the seeds that you sow. I say it again, don't judge each day by the harvest that you reap, judge it by the seeds that you sow. And I believe each one of you sit here with a bag of seed and your role is to ask God, God, where can I release that? So I'll let you guys outwork that. I've entitled my sermon this morning, We Are the Church. And if I had to ask you the question, what comes to mind when I mention the word church? what would be some of those words or ideas that come to mind? Don't you shout it out, but I want you to think about that. When I say the word church, what comes to mind? And I can tell you that with a lot of unchurched people, what comes to mind when you mention church is a building, or it's the meeting that you attend once a week for an hour and a half. 
that's what the, the unchurched people think when you mention the word church. The sad thing is, I believe that a lot of the church have that same view of the church, that it's a building that you attend, and it's at a meeting you go to for an hour and a half once a week. And then what's happened over time is we've started to create a church that suits our needs, that we've tried to create something where we leave either feeling pleased or dissatisfied. And we know God said that he would build his church. And I think we've tried really hard to build something that looks good to us. And just a picture I got was God has, in a sense, ordered a dish at a restaurant. Call it a fillet steak, medium rare. We know Jesus was healthy, so he wouldn't have had fries. He would have had veg. And uh, what we've done is we've gone into the kitchen. We've tried to prepare something really beautiful. And we've come out with an amazing seafood platter. But God's saying, that's not what I ordered. That's not what I've ordered. See, I think what we've done over time is we've started to treat church or going to church like going to the movies. So I'm going to go, I'm going to sit back, and either I'm going to enjoy what I see or it's not really going to be really my cup of tea. Yet as I read the scriptures, I see the church being more of a gym-type experience where we go there and we've got a part to play, where we're putting an effort, where we're not just growing our own faith, but we're spotting people and we help them take that extra mile so that they can grow in their faith as they go on this journey. So Harvest Church, I'll ask you a question. Have we settled church for being a once-a-week event that we attend? Because that's not what I see within the Scriptures. You see, none of us can deny that there's a match taking place out there. It takes place every day. It takes place Monday to Sunday. And uh, it's a match between good and evil and their souls that are at stake. The reality is we've got a part to play in that match. But what has happened is we've started to view our times gathered here as the match where God always intended it to be the halftime break. So in a match, you have a halftime, and it's at that moment where you get envisioned, where you get encouraged, where you find out what the strategy is and where you can play your part. And what we've done is we've sort of said, well, I've gone to church, I've played my part in the match, and I'm going to sit back and wait for the match the following week. Yet the match only starts when we leave these doors. The matches take place in the workplaces, in the varsities, in the schools. So let us not view our times together as the match. And just a picture I had, I I love underdog stories. I grew up watching the Mighty Ducks, uh, Remember the Titans, and always in those movies what would happen is the coach would come together with his team. I coach soccer, and it's very real to me. And you get your guys in a huddle, and you'd give the best halftime talk ever. One of the best halftime talks I've ever seen or heard about was John Smith in his autobiography. It was that quarterfinal match in the World Cup when the Springboks were down to Fiji. And uh, just picture a scene. He had all the Springboks around him in the changing. They're losing to Fiji. They're getting dominated in every area. And John Smith starts to say to each player, Percy, this is what the public's saying about you, but this is who I know you are calls us, and he says, us, this is what the public are saying, but this is what you are. And he called out the best in every single individual, and they left that halftime talk, and they came in the second half and annihilated Fiji. That is what I believe our times like here should be like. But what happens is we get together, we hear this amazing talk, and then the whistle blows, and we all go back onto the subs bench, and we start cheering the one or two guys that are out there. God didn't intend for the work to happen through one or two people. It's not through the elders or the paid staff. All of us have a part to play. And as we gather here and as we get inspired to do what God has called us to do, let's go and play our part in the match which takes place out here. 
You see, when I read scriptures and I read what is the church, I see it being described as the bride of Jesus, something beautiful. I see it being described as the body of Jesus, of which he is the head, and we all have a part to play in that body. I see it being described as a family that all of us get to be a part of. Let us not make church an event that we go to. We are the church. Harvest Church, we are the church. And I love what's happening in Durban because the more I see it, the church are coming together. There's prayer meetings taking place once a month by our Gravel Racecourse. A number of churches gather there. The youth that meet on a Friday, a number of churches are represented there. I love what God's doing. He's calling his church together and saying, Church, will you be my bride? Will you be my body? See, this is a true story, and it's a story that sort of captivated my heart, and it's, it's shaped the way in which I've built Love Church over these last two years. And it was a story of the Chinese church and the Russian church. And there was a time where the numbers were very similar in terms of the people that were part of the church in those two countries. Then they both fell under communist leadership, and what the communists did is they took away the church buildings and they took away the priests. And what happened in the Russian church is because they had built their church experience around a man and a building, the church started to die. We look at the Chinese church, same thing happens, but because their church experience was in homes, because they didn't make it about the priest, they embraced what it meant to be the priesthood, the church started to grow, and it grew even more once the buildings and the priests and the people with titles were taken away. Can I say, Harvest Church, let's not fall into the trap of the Russian church. Let's learn from their mistake. Let's be the Chinese church and understand what it means to be the church, what it means to be a priesthood of all believers, where we all have a part to play, where there's this urgency to share the gospel, where we can't help but sing songs on the tube or wherever we are about how good God is to us. So before we have a look scripturally, what that early church looked like, before they had any comparison of what to compare themselves to or any structure, as they were guided and led by the Holy Spirit of what the church should look like, we need to actually go a couple of chapters back and actually see what did Jesus instruct the church to do? What was his instruction to each and every one of us who calls themselves a follower of Jesus? And that's found in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. It's known as the Great Commission, and I know it's a passage we know well. Can I say, Harvest Church, I don't want us to leave here understanding the Great Commission. I want us to leave here asking God how we can act it out better. If you were on your deathbed and you could have 10 minutes with those that you loved, and you could share anything with them, you would share something that was close to your heart, something that would shape their lives. And that was almost the picture of this moment when Jesus gathered with the people he had spent three years of his life with, investing into each one of them. He said, guys, I'm going now, but I want you to know this. And this is what he says. In Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, it will come up on the screen, which you can follow along. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I must share something before I go into this. I preached the service before this, and they were great. They laughed at all my jokes. They pretended to be interested. But uh, I was limited because I knew you guys were coming in. Can I say that I've been given the freedom to go till 12, 1 o'clock, but make sure you're comfortable. Okay, some really good stuff. And actually, I must tell you, this is a true story. I did preach with a handheld in the service before this, 
And the guy said that they felt I was restricted. So if you see the gangster in me coming out with both my hands, it's because of your guys, not my choice. So we see in this Great Commission, it starts off with the word go. Go and make. Church, why have we changed it to come? Come to church on a Sunday. You come and see. Come and let me show you. But Jesus said, go. Take this gospel out there. Take what you view as the match, view it as the halftime, and go and compete in the match that is out there. And can I say, as we've embraced this as love church of not inviting people to church, but of being the church, God opens doors because his heart is to reach the lost more than us. And so often we pray, pray, we pray, God, give me the opportunities. Yet God has created the opportunities. Our prayer should be, God, give us the eyes to see the opportunities you are creating. And as we've gone on this journey, God has opened up doors for us to take Alpha into the prisons. We've had the ability to go and preach into schools, a little church less than two years old with 12 people, because we've actually asked ourselves, what does it mean to go? That's the starting point of this great commission, go. He then says, make disciples. Can I say, church, we have limited to making disciples at the point when people commit their lives to Jesus. Yet Jesus started making disciples right where, right where people were at. With every single one of his disciples, he had the invitation of follow me. Only on this journey of following Jesus did they understand who Jesus was and were willing to die to their old lives and embrace this new life that Jesus has for them. So when he says go and make disciples, it includes leading people to Jesus and leading people through Jesus. Because our goal of discipleship shouldn't be, yes, a person responded to the gospel. It should be, okay, great, but how can we take you to the point where you are making your own disciples? That's what Jesus meant by go and make disciples. Get those people to the point where they are making disciples. Then we're not just adding, we're multiplying. And wasn't that God's first instruction to us in the garden? Be fruitful and multiply. Discipleship is a form of multiplication. See, I often ask myself, what are the things God's going to ask me when I meet him face to face? And there is that passage which scares me where we see the kinds of people saying, but I healed the sick in your name. I did this. I went to church every Sunday. I prayed, but you didn't know me. <laughs> That's always been Jesus's first desire was that we would be in an intimate relationship with him. But then I believe he'll also ask us, did you make disciples? That's what I asked you to do. But he'll say, no, no, but I brought all my friends to church. Did you make disciples? That's what he's asked of us. On this discipleship journey, as we lead people to Jesus, they get to the point where they are willing to die to their old way of living. They see that by spending time with us, that, that Jesus truly is the way. That in him we find identity, we find our purpose, we find true satisfaction. And one of the greatest joys we have of discipling others, they get to the point where they want to leave that life behind. And that's what baptism is. I think as the church, we've limited baptism to taking place in a service that only the pastors can do. But as I read this, Jesus says, take people on a journey, get them to the place where they want to do that, and then you go and baptize them, whether it be in the ocean, whether it be in the swimming pool. When last did you you personally lead someone to a place where they want to get baptized. I've gone on this journey and it's the most beautiful moment when you know a person is true about their walk with Jesus. And they say, I want to get baptized. I'm like, great. We'll do it in the ocean. We'll do it in the pool. No, no reason to delay. And we do it. And almost that was how Love Church came about. I met a couple and they wanted to get baptized. 
But in hindsight, I think they were doing it just to tick a box or because maybe he was under pressure from his girlfriend. And I got chatting because I don't take baptism lightly. And long story cut short, we got to their relationship. And I said, are you guys married? No, no, we're living together. Okay, cool. Is there any desire to get married? Chatted around that. And there was nothing stopping them from getting married. So I said, well, why don't you get married or go on a journey of getting married? Then then I'll baptize you. And I think that'll be a brilliant thing to do. So the man says to me, he says, could you baptize us and marry us on the same day? I was like, yeah, of course. I think that's a beautiful thing to do. Wow. You know, baptism, marriage, same day. It's like, when? He's like, no, tomorrow. <laughs> okay, cool. I said, now, now we're going to put your, your faith to the test. I said, I'm going to be at a Shaka Beach at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. I want you guys to meet me there. This couple arrives there. It was probably one of the most beautiful moments I've been able to partake in. This couple went to the sea. They got baptized. And they said to me that to show God they are serious about following him and doing things his way, they are going to get married. Marry them on the beach. And then at that moment... This man says to me, and I hardly knew them. It was one day of conversation. He says, I also want to use my business to honor God. Did not know what he did. And uh, again, long story cut short, says to me, Tyrant, I'm a nightclub owner, and I've got a pub next to my nightclub. He said, will you consider running a church there? And up until then, God had been preparing me to lead my own community. And I said, great, let's do it. And I know Richard mentioned last week that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And we are willing to risk in God. When we are willing to go into territory we haven't gone before, God's blessing is able to follow. And by taking this couple on this journey, we were able to start our church in a pub. And we, two years later, a healthy church that is looking at making disciples. So we see that there's discipleship, we see that there's baptism, but then Jesus says, go and teach them everything I've taught you. Do you know that it's easy to teach from afar, but there's not much impact that takes place? The best way to teach something to someone is to model it to them. Model it to them. So I can teach about marriage, but I'd say rather come into my home and see how me and my wife interact. I can teach you about finances, rather come and look at my bank statements and see how I manage my finances when we model it to people. And that's what Jesus did with these 12 men. He didn't just say, come to the synagogue once a week and I'm going to give you the most incredible teachings. You know what? I'm going to do life with you. Because around the campfire, around the dinner table, as we're playing sports, I'm sure they would have played touch rugby or whatever it was in those days, then you have the opportunity to show people what it looks like to live a Christian faith, what it looks like to follow Jesus, where it's not just a head knowledge and stuff we say, but it's through what we do. And that's what Jesus is saying, teach them everything I've taught you. And one of the things we see Jesus doing is he taught his disciples how to pray. If we are wanting to disciple people effectively, we need to teach people how to pray and how to read their Bible. We live in a generation where People don't have a clue what that looks like. And then we wonder why they stay here in their faith. Because no one has taken the time to actually walk alongside them. I think the people we are discipling, we should walk alongside them and say, you know what, this is how you pray. I'm going to pray first, and then you try. And then people start to pray out loud for the first time. And, and that fear that was once there gets taken away. And they're able to pray to this good father we sang about earlier with complete freedom because someone showed them. Same with reading the Bible. People put up their hand on a Sunday and we think, yes, they've got it. You know that so many people, even people in the church, don't even know where to start to read in the Bible. They don't even know what translation they should have. Yet we should be the ones walking alongside them saying, do you know what? This is the author of this book. This is who he was writing to. This is why it's relevant to your life. And we actually get them to live out the Bible as opposed to just knowing it. That's what discipleship looks like. And I don't want this to be a heavy moment, but do your lives reflect something like that? We are taking people on this journey. We are 
intentional about reaching the lost, where you desire to get them to a place where they want to leave their old lives behind them, where you can't wait for them to get to the place where they are making their own disciples, because that is what Jesus commanded us to do. So you know what's sad (laughs) is that Jesus said, I will build my church, and he asked us to go and make disciples, but we live our life trying to build the church, what suits our needs, and expect Jesus to make his own disciples. Can I say, let's, let's switch it around again. Let Jesus build his church. He knows what he's doing. We can ask him the part we can play, but let's do the thing he's asked us to do, which is to go and make disciples. I'll tell you right now, the reason we don't embrace discipleship is because it's messy. It's time-consuming. We don't want to get in the faces of people and have the hard conversations. But if we truly want to see disciples being made, we need to do that. And Jesus showed us perfectly, because in that group of 12 that Jesus was discipling, And there's that wonderful moment where he's washing their feet. At that moment, it said that Jesus showed them the full extent of his love. I love that. Jesus showed them the full extent of his love. And I always thought it was through the act of washing their feet that the king of kings would leave his throne, that he would take on the robe of his servants and would wash their feet. That is just part. I believe the full extent of his love was shown because he knew the people of the feet he was washing. He knew that in that 12, that there would be a Matthew that would jump to everything Jesus did and obey him. But also there was a Thomas who would doubt him. There was a Peter who would deny him. There was a Judas who would betray him. But within that, even knowing what they were like, he viewed them of who they were going to become. And can I say, on this discipleship journey, we should view people that same way. Not who they are now, but who they can become in Jesus. We need to start calling out the best in people. That's what Jesus did, and that's what he's asked us to do. And we all get hurt. I've been hurt along the way. We've, for some reason, attracted a lot of drug addicts. I think being in the pub in the Amstranga area, we now in your neighborhood, which is really cool. We're neighbors, so we should do lunches and stuff. We're meeting in the Rock Building now on a Sunday morning. But we recently took a guy in, into our community. We provided a job for him. We gave him the resources he needs to try and uh, free himself from this drug addiction. We gave him a job. And he was starting to make really good progress. But through some poor decisions and being drawn back into his old lifestyle, we had to take a lot of that away from him. And now he's back on the streets begging. Can I say, never ever let the disappointment stop you from doing good. Never let people's responses stop you from doing what God's put on your heart. We've learned on this journey. I think the why is never a question. That's what Jesus has asked us to do. But we can do, we can do the how better. And my encouragement to you is you will get hurt along the way. And maybe you'll get hurt 99 times. But that one person that does get it and does embrace this new life, it's so worth it. And that's what we should do. You see, Jesus' invitation was, follow me. And when he said that, he said, follow me with your sin. Follow me with your unbelief. Follow me with your doubts. Because on this journey, you will see that the narrow path is so much better. It may not be the path that everyone's taking, are so much better on the narrow path, because on that narrow path, that is where you find peace, where you find love, where you find joy, where you find your identity. On that narrow path, it may seem like things are going well, because on that, on that wide path, you may have the big houses, and you may have a great job, and all those things which are good, but those things won't lead to the things Jesus can offer. And just a picture I had is, as we follow Jesus, as people start to see the fruits in our lives, they're going to have a look where they are on that wide road, look at the narrow road, and say, you know what? I want the life that they've got because they have peace. They have joy. Despite their circumstances, they've got that. And that is something the world can't offer. 
and they start to follow us. They start to leave this narrow, this, this wide road that the rest of the world is taking, and they start to follow us. Can I say, let's not be a people that expect people to change before they follow Jesus, which we can so easily do. If you sort yourself out first in this area, this area, this area, then you can come on the journey. Because that's not how Jesus operates. He said, follow me. I love that moment when Jesus is with his disciples and he says, a new commandment I'm giving you. You can imagine the excitement. Like we've heard so many of these cool commandments. This is a new one. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And their minds are like, it's not new. We've heard that before. But he says, no, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. You know, it's one of the most attractive things to the unchurched. When they walk into a community like this and they see the love that we have for each other. You know, the reason why the early church grew so quickly was not because of the signs and wonders necessarily, but at that time there was a, a massive outbreak of diseases and people were throwing their own family members on the street because they were contagious and you could die. The church were taking these people in. And because of the love that was shown, not only to their own people, but to these strangers, people said, I want to be a part of that. And studies have shown that was the main reason why the early church grew so quickly. Can that be said of us? Are people able to say they are followers of Jesus because of the way in which they love? That's what I'd want to be said of us. That is why we call ourselves Love Church. We want to love Jesus with all that we are. We want to love each other and then take that love out there to people that need it. And as we've done that, we've seen some incredible testimonies. We recently had a girl come into our community, came from a broken family, and she's actually a professional athlete. She's hoping to run at the next Olympics, and she's doing some big race in two weeks' time. And we said, you know what, we will cancel our meeting to come and support you at your race. Do you know, she started to have tears down her, her cheek and said, you know, none of my own family or friends have come to support me before. That is the picture of the church. You know that she's been in our home and she's been in our life, but she hasn't been to the Sunday moment yet, but she's experienced the church. She's experienced a family where she might have not had it in her upbringing. And that's what it looks like to show love to people. We had a, a couple in our community that were battling financially. They just practically couldn't afford rent and some groceries. And we were small at that stage, probably 20 to 30. We sent a WhatsApp out and said, guys, these are people in our community. Can you help? And in a short space of time, we were able to cover their rent for a month, some groceries. That's what it looks like. We know what it means to love, but that's what it looks like, love in action. And start here, loving your own people, loving your family, the people that you worship God with. Because when we do that, outsiders will say, they must be followers of Jesus because of the way in which they love. And what's awesome in both those stories, family members of those people started to ask themselves the question, why is their church helping them out more than what we are and we their family? And they started to go on a journey themselves. just want to look quickly at what the early church looked like. You've got to understand that this great commission had been given. They had been promised the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was given to them so that they would be these witnesses that Jesus spoke about. And this is what the early church started to look like without having anything to fall back on. It says this, and again, it will come up on the screen in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you know that that word devoted can be translated into addicted? This early church was addicted to doing this. 
They, they couldn't help it. They were willing to sacrifice other things to, to do these things that God had put on their heart. And they devoted themselves to fellowship, to being together. But it wasn't just a, a little handshake or hug on a Sunday, check you next week. Like, what did it look like to do life together? They loved each other so much that they, they would sell something to make sure that someone in the community was without. Would that happen here? If you heard of someone that was battling financially, would you be willing to sell something? Not just extra cash, but maybe sell a second car. Let's make it real. This is what the early church did. This is how they were instructed to live under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And because they devoted themselves to this way of living, of understanding what it means to be the church, of spreading the gospel, of raising up leaders, of loving one another, it says God added to their number daily. And almost the picture I had is they would get together, they would do these things, they would go out there, they would make disciples, and the next time they met, there would be new people. And their family was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That is the church I desire to be a part of. I really do. So we've got to understand that the church does not exist for us. The church is not here to meet our needs. Was that the worship that I liked? Is the preacher going on a bit too long because we've got a family lunch to go to? Hey, the guy behind the coffee machine wasn't at his best today. We, we can. We can get into that mode because we think the church exists for us, but the church does not exist for us. We are the church, not a place we go to, and we exist for the world. Where do we get that from? Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. We're called to live a life like Jesus. Are we seeking to see the lost save? Is that something that can be said of us? When we are truly in love with Jesus, our heart beats after the things that Jesus' heart beats after. Our heart should be beating for the lost, not because it's a program that brings people into the church, but because it's who we are. We're followers of Jesus, and we want to love the things he loves and hates the thing that he hates. See, I, I love the stories of the, of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, because the lost coin represents a great value. We are valuable to Jesus. Those that are far from him are valuable to Jesus. The lost sheep speaks of great effort. It requires intentionality. It requires us opening up our home of sacrificing some time. And the lost son speaks of the great love of a great father. And yes, the theme is the same, but the approach is different. Because a coin is round and it's small, and if you drop the coin, probably the place you're going to find it is under a chair. You're not going to find a sheep under a chair. You have to go into the field to find a sheep. And with all these things, not everyone is different, and they require different approaches. And that's why I love Paul's heart when he says, I became all things to all men that I might win some knew he wasn't going to win them all. His goal wasn't to be relevant and to fit in and to have the same shirt as the chairs. It wasn't his goal to fit in. His goal was that he would win some. And he was willing to go into a pub even if he doesn't drink beer so that he can start up a conversation with those guys. He was willing to play touch rugby even if he can't pass the ball so he could spend time with guys. Are we willing to seek out and to be intentional of reaching those far from God? See, Jesus crossed barriers. He did it with the Samaritan woman. He did it with Zacchaeus. Are there barriers we're not willing to cross? You know, I just, I'm uncomfortable around gay people. Just, you know, it's not my vibe. Jesus crossed that barrier. And we call to do the same. Because there are people out there who are far away from him. And if we don't cross the barrier, they're going to remain lost. It requires a great effort. They are valuable to God. And you may be the person that he's wanting to use to reach them. See, as we've gone on this journey, we found that many people are open up to conversion, are open up to community before conversion. They just want to be heard. They, they want to see that you are the same person in church as what you are during the week. And so often we're like, well, let's get them to church so they can be saved. 
what you're doing is you're saying, I actually don't care about you. Just want to add to our number and say, hey, we had 10 salvations this week. People want community. They want a place where they feel like they belong. Like that athlete that had never experienced that. She's found a place where she belongs. She's on a journey. We need to include people in community events. Because it's through community they get converted. Because they experience this love that we should have for one another. I'm going to end off by just saying this, that not everyone sitting here is an evangelist. It's a specific gift that God gives to people. But we are all called to evangelize. Let's stop using excuses I don't know enough. Not where you're at now is a lot further than that person. You can take them on a journey. Let's stop using fear. Because we know that the perfect love that God has for us has driven away that fear. Be yourself. That's what people are looking for. When they come into a room like this, they're actually not looking how good your graphics on the screen are. Or how did the sound work together? Or how funny the preacher was? Actually, did these people love me? Did the guy that was up front, did he actually truly speak to God? Or were they just words that he had rehearsed? That is what the world is looking for. There's a whole group, it's a generation called the nuns and the duns. There are some people out there who are done with church. Done with church. They've been there, they've experienced it, it's hypocritical, it's not real. But then even a bigger generation is rising up is the nuns. They've never experienced church, but based on what they see, it's of no relevance to their life. Can I say, by including these people in community, by being intentional with them, I believe that we're going to see the nuns and the duns come into church again. And not come into our meetings, but be the church with us, where they can go and reach the other people that are lost out there. That is my heart. And we don't do it as individual churches, we do it together. Because we're adding to the kingdom. It's not about local church. All of us have different expressions, yes. But we're all on the same goal. As we go on this goal and we are intentional about it and passionate about it, I believe that God is going to start adding to our number daily again. That is my dream. And we're starting to see something of it. So where do you start? Start where God's placed you. The guy at work. The kid at school. Your neighbor. It blows my mind how... Some people have never had their neighbors in their home. People, we're separated by a wall. But we've never made the effort to go and introduce ourselves. Will you come and have a meal with me? The people are there. They really are. As I said earlier, which is specific to Harvest Church, you've got the seed. Just be aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing and, and go accordingly. And you'll be amazed at the doors he's going to open up for you. So lastly, Jesus' love is to us. We know that. We've seen how he showed his love through sending his son. It doesn't stop there because his love wants to work in us. He wants to transform us into the person of Jesus. He wants to to shape our character where when people look at us, they will see the fruit of the spirit. They will see love, joy, peace because of what God's love is doing inside of us. But then it needs to be expressed through us to the people that so desperately need to see how much God loves them. So Harvest Church, can we be the church? Let's not settle for it being a once-off meeting that we attend. Let us be the church, this beautiful bride that Jesus describes that he's coming back for, this body that we get a part to play of how he leads us, and this family that people are so desperately looking to be a part of. Can we stand? I'd love to pray for us, please. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you that there is nothing that can separate us from it. I thank you that you first loved us. That you said, come as you are. And we do. We 
are so grateful and we, we accept that love. But I pray that we would allow that love to transform us, that we would start to be more like you, Jesus, that corporately would start to, to take shape of what it looks like to be the church, that that love would be expressed here with one another, the people that are our family, and that as people on the outside look in, that they would want that same love. I pray that we would be aware of the opportunities you are creating for us, whether it be our neighbors, whether it be in the workplace, in the schools, in the varsities. I pray that we would step out in boldness, that we would step out in courage. I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that has enabled us to be these witnesses, that has given us the power we need. I thank you we don't have a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. I pray that we would, we would do what you have called us to do, that we would go and make disciples, that we would not treat these moments as the match, but we'd go and play our part in the matches that take place out there. Help us intentionally reach the lost. Help us get them to the place where they want to die to their old lives and baptize them and, and get them to the place where they are making their own disciples. That is what we want. Pray that where we have started building the church on your behalf, we pray for forgiveness. Pray that you would start building your church once again and that wherever you need us, that we would put up our hands and say, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Can we actually say it together? I just feel it's a word for us. Just with that picture of, of the dandelions, can we put up our hands and just say, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. We want to be the church, Lord. And I pray that as we devote ourselves to things of you, that you would add to your number daily those who are being saved. We pray these things in the most incredible name, the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus.